I'm going to read today's passage. We're in a, a, a series of, on, on miscellaneous psalms, and today we're on Psalm 103, one of the great psalms in my, in my opinion, and we're just going to take the first six verses. So Psalm 103, first six verses coming on the screens, I'll read. This is of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. I want to tell you about my favorite teacher in high school. I grew up in Madisonville, Texas, where Bucky's is, small school. And all four years, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, I had one math teacher, and that was Miss Louise Hatcher. By the time that I had her, she was up in years. In fact, when my father was a, a student, he had Miss Hatcher. Miss Hatcher, uh, single all of her life, was a, a rather stern-looking, austere woman. She dressed in an old-fashioned way. She always wore these long, plain black dresses. And if you didn't know Miss Hatcher, you would think she was a, a stern woman, severe. But inside, that was not Miss Hatcher. She was not only a marvelous teacher, the best teacher there, in my, my opinion, but she had this big heart inside. She was kind. She was compassionate. It was my privilege later to do her funeral service. Miss Hatcher, if you didn't know her, uh, you'd, you'd misunderstand her heart. Now, that's okay when it comes to teachers, high school teachers, but when it comes to God, it's the same thing. If you don't really know him, you will misunderstand his heart. And when it comes to God, that's not an okay thing. It changes everything if you misunderstand who God really is. Now, if you've been around Wood's Edge for a while, from time to time, I mention my favorite book is this small little thin paperback that's kind of hard reading. It's called Knowledge of the Holy by E.W. Tozier. It's in our library. It's in our bookstore. And the very first sentence, he says this. It grabs me around the throat. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I believe he's true. I believe that uh, you know, you, if you don't see God as, as incredibly loving and gracious and compassionate, you won't really love him back. You'll have religious duty, not love affair. If, if you don't really see him as he is, you won't trust him, you won't obey him, you won't take delight in him, you won't enjoy him. It will change all of your life if we misunderstand God's heart, and it's so easy to do. I've told you before about as a young pastor in Roseburg, Oregon, how I recognized, I realized one day, Jeff, you really don't believe that God is good inside. You talk about it, you preach about it, but you don't really feel it inside. I began a quest, Lord, show me who you are. Three things were uh, sort of highlights of this quest that is still lasting to the present day. First of all, I began praying a lot. In fact, I pray it daily still to this day, Lord, show me your glory. 
That comes out of Exodus 33 when Moses saw God do some incredible things, but he says, Lord, show me your glory. Or let me see you and who you are. Secondly, I began saturating myself with the Scriptures more and more and really looking for the goodness and the grace of God. So a second thing in this journey to see who God is is to live in the Scriptures, live in the Bible, because it's God's Word, not man's Word. And then thirdly, a little bit unexpectedly, is the power of worship. When we gather together and we, we, from the heart, we express praise and adoration to God, something powerful happens in our souls. Now, it doesn't happen if it's just from your lips, but if your heart is in it, something deep inside happens. Those three things stood out. And over the years, God has, be, has been changing my heart and who God is, and He's still doing it. In Psalm 103, perhaps more than any other psalm, we see the glory of God. We see the goodness of God. We see, we see who God is and what God is like. And we're going to press into that some this morning. Now, in the very first line, David calls out when he says, bless the Lord. Bless means praise in this context. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, who is David talking to here? He's not talking to God. Who is he addressing? Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. He is uh, talking to himself and saying, David, you need to praise the Lord. In fact, he says it several times, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. He repeats it in the next line. Bless the Lord, O my soul, speaking to himself again. And then the very last line of the psalm, he says it again. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, three times. David, bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you know that sometimes you need to grab yourself by the shoulders and talk sense into yourself? Because sometimes there's some voices in our head, there's some nonsense. You know, it could be a teacher in the past said that uh, something that, you know, wasn't, you know, really true, or maybe a parent, maybe a friend, maybe your culture, maybe, you know, a TV show, maybe your spiritual enemy, the devil, who would love to deceive you and lie to you. But there are all kind of voices in your head at times, and at times we need to sort of shake ourselves, and, and we need to speak the truths of God into our hearts. Chelf, wake up. And that's why it is so important to fill your mind with God's mind. And that while you're going through your life, at times you're, you're, you're worshiping, you've got some praise music on, you've, you've memorized some key scripture verses and the truths of God, you live in this Bible every day, so you can fill your mind with God's mind, and at times, talk to yourself. David does that. Bless the Lord, David. Bless him. Praise him. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, with all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, let's just press into what exactly he says. He's saying, David, it's really important to you to praise the Lord. To praise the Lord. To, to sing to him like we did this morning. To declare his goodness, his glory, his greatness. That he is the sovereign, holy God. And not just a, you know, a little bit bigger man than us. He's not a superman. He's God. Why is that so important? Why does the Bible from Genesis to Revelation filled with praise? In fact, the book of Revelation which at some point I'm planning to, to, to go through also, is, is like the Psalms of the New Testament, full of praise. 
But why is that repeated so much? Why do, do we see 99 times in the Psalms alone the command, sing to the Lord? Well, let me give you three reasons. First of all, it is only right that we praise the Lord, that we bless the Lord, because He's God. He's the sovereign, holy, infinite God. He is unfathomably good and unutterably great. And it is only right that we declare His glory and praise. It's only right. The, ju- the whole universe cries out, it's only right. Secondly, when you praise the Lord, you do two things. You express your love for Him, and you nurture your love for Him. I mean, think about it. You're, you're uh, pressing in and talking about the greatness and the glory of God and what He's done for us in Christ. That nurtures your love for God that you'd love Him all the more. And it expresses your love for God. Lord, you've been so good to me. Count your blessings. Come your fount of every blessing. So we, uh, it nurtures our love. But a third reason is simply this, is that when we praise the Lord, when we uh, lift up and declare God's goodness and grace, we shift our gaze from ourselves to our God. We shift our gaze from our problems to the one who is bigger than our problems. We right-size our circumstances and problems. So it is so vital that we do what David is telling himself to do. Bless the Lord, David. Bless the Lord. Three big reasons. It's only right. It expresses and nurtures love, and we right-size our problems. And we kind of, a little bit of a reality, okay, that problem is not everything. There's a lot of else things. So he goes on, verse 2, repeats that line when he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, we don't talk quite that way. That's poetic language. The Psalms are poetry. He doesn't say, remember his benefits. Forget not his benefits. Remember them. Remember them. Think about them. Recall them to mind. Don't forget them. Because it's easy for us to forget things. You know, all through the Old Testament, it's surprising to me how many times there's the command, remember, remember what God has done for you, remember. In fact, the the greatest annual celebration event was the Passover, and the whole purpose was to remember what God did in the Exodus when they were slaves in Egypt, and He split the Red Sea and brought them out. And, And every year, there was a special time set aside, remember what God has done for you, remember. And then, when Jesus Christ is here right before his death, the Thursday night before he'd be killed the next morning, Friday morning, he took the Passover celebration and transforms it into a communion celebration. And when he gave us this communion celebration, he gives us only one command about it. He doesn't tell us when to do it, how to do it, what steps to follow, what words to say, or where to do it. He doesn't say any of those things. He simply says, remember me. Remember me me. That's what we do every Sunday morning. We celebrate communion, which we'll do at the end of this, ser- this message. We remember that our God in heaven loved you so much, He sent His own Son to die on a cross, and He paid for your sin. We remember. We remember. Sometimes we need just to kind of pause ourselves and remember all that God's done for us. We, we sang earlier the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, because God is the fount, the source the wellspring of every blessing you've ever experienced. Every good thing you have ever experienced or will experience is from God. He is the fount of every blessing. Come, thy fount of every blessing. 
So we pray these sort of prayers. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for a Savior. Thank you, Lord God, for the cross and the resurrection. Lord, thank you for, the, for loving me just as I am, no matter what. Lord, thank you for the grace that has cleansed my soul and set me free. Father, thank you for your Spirit who encourages me, teaches me, guides me, comforts me. Lord, thank you for your Word, which is a, just a treasure inexhaustible. Lord, thank you for the privilege of prayer, access to you at any time that you hear me when I pray. Lord, thank you for the people in my life, my family, friends, home church group, folks that care about me. Thank you for those people. Lord, thank you for healing grace, that you bring healing physically, relationally, mentally, uh, every way, Lord. You're a healer. Lord, thank you for the hard times that you brought me through. (laughs) and that you use for good in my life. Thank you for those things. Lord, thank you that you've been endlessly patient with me and gentle with me. That's one been on my heart a good bit. Lord, thank you that you never let me go. Lord, thank you for teaching me and drawing me to yourself. Lord, thank you for so much that you've done for me. It's that kind of praying. Lord, forget not all its benefits. From time to time, it'd be a good idea, especially If it's a tough time for you, if you're discouraged or even depressed, I'd encourage you to do this. Get along with God with a blank sheet of paper or your iPad notes. And take a half hour or so and just begin listing every good thing that God has given you that you can think of. Big and small, all kind of things, past and present. Just list them. And just see if forgetting not his benefits doesn't do something to your soul. Time to time, that's a good thing to do. Okay. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And he begins listing some of those benefits, the big ones. He forgives all your iniquity. That is all your sin, all your trespasses. God is the one who forgives all your iniquity. Because if you're a believer, when Jesus Christ dies on the cross for you, God takes all of your sin and places them on Jesus and he pays for them with his own death. Now, it's not just the sins that until you trusted Christ and then you're kind of on your own, because when Jesus died for you on the cross, all your sins were future. It's all of them. Jesus paid it all. God forgives all your iniquity. Maybe nowhere stated better, more emphatically than Colossians 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All that list of legal demands against you because of your sin, debt against the holy God, Jesus set it aside. He vanquished it. He, he uh, uh, paid for it. It's like the Father nailing that list to the cross that Jesus paying for it. He forgives all your iniquity. I mean, that's, that's just so big. That's the top of the list. You know, it's like the cross is a drain plug for your guilt. Think of a, a, a bathtub and you're really dirty and you get out of the bathtub and it's just dirty brown water there. There is one way to get rid of that brown water. Just lift the uh, uh, drain plug and it just heads down the drain. Nah, I know, you got to wash the sides, but, you know, just go, go with me here. Uh, it just down the drain. 
When you trust Christ as your Savior, because of the cross, all your sins and iniquity go down the drain. And you're whiter than snow. He forgives all your iniquity. If you've never done that, do it now. Do it now. Uh, th- this book is not about religion. It's not about, you know, uh, measuring up and being good enough. It is about the grace of God and the Savior. It's about the cross. It's about the cross. Do it now. Breathe a prayer. Jesus, save me. Save me. Tell somebody that you did that. By the way, do you think of God this way? That's where we started this morning, how we see God. Do you think of him this way? He's the kind of God who pours out all these benefits, who's the fount of every blessing, who forgives all your iniquity. He is a forgiving God. He's great at forgiving. I'm not so good at forgiving. He's great at forgiving. He forgives all your iniquity. He goes on. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. All your diseases? Sometimes immediately, sometimes miraculously, sometimes gradually, sometimes medically, sometimes in heaven. God heals. He heals all your diseases. In 2002, we began this a prayer service that we still have to this day. That first fall, we had two dramatic healings that took place, one involving a band director by the name of Glenn who had a tumor in his lung, and uh, we've been praying for it. It goes back to the doctor the final time before the surgery. The doctor looks for it in an hour, cannot find it. Uh, another one, uh, Madeline Solo was here the first service, just uh, a dramatic healing with her. I think God was encouraging us. Look, if you guys will band together and call out to me, I, I, I will hear your prayers. This past, Wednesday, this past Tuesday, four or five days ago, Jay Myers, one of our pastors, gets this email from Matt Carter in our church. And this is what he said. He said, Jay, you prayed for me at last Wednesday's prayer service regarding my back. That's been hurting me since 2012 after an incident in the Army. He said, my back is completely healed. He said, I've had a, a back problem for six years now. I've seen chiropractors, I've had x-rays, I've done stretching, I've stopped working out. I've tried everything, nothing helped. When you prayed, anointed my head with oil, I bent over over after we prayed, and if you recall, an audible popping noise occurred like my spine cracked in several places. Six years of pain, every day, all day. I would twist and jerk and posture all day long, sitting in my chair at work, and on my... uh, Three hours worth of bus commuting to and from work. God has healed my back. I don't need surgery anymore. I just ran four miles over lunch. Jesus is an amazing healer. Yeah, God. Sometimes God heals dramatically and immediately. Not as much as I would like. Um, But God is God. Why doesn't he heal all people like that immediately. I don't know. You know, don't forever forget that God is not like a great man. He's God. He's God. My brain compared to God's brain is like, you know, like I've got the, an earthworm brain compared to Einstein. God is God. He doesn't tell me all that he does, all that he allows, but he tells me, ask, ask, ask. In fact, James 5.14 says, if anyone is sick, let him call the elders, and they will anoint him with oil and pray for them. 
Now, the oil is just a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and that's what Matt Carter was referring to in the letter. It's just a little symbol of the Spirit of God, reminding us only God can heal. And it says, if you're sick, call the elders and let them pray for you. Is that the most, misun- is that the most, mis- uh, is that the most disobeyed verse in the Bible? <laughs> it might be. A lot of folks are sick. Don't do that. Ask. Why not? God might choose to heal you immediately. Keep asking. All righty. He goes on. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Can I pause right there? Last week in Psalm 63, I paused on steadfast love. There ought to be a flashing light every time in your Bible you come across the word steadfast love in the Old Testament because it's a very important Hebrew word. Now, in the English Standard Version, they translate it steadfast love. I think the NIV is unfailing love. I think the New American Standard is is loving kindness. The translators aren't quite sure how to translate this Hebrew word chesed because it, it combines a couple of ideas. Here are the two ideas. One idea is just love. What it's saying when it talks about God's steadfast love, he's saying God loves you incredibly. But it's more than that. It's also a love that endures. It's a love that, that will not stop when you mess up or when you wander away. It's a love that will never stop from you. And that's why the English translators are try, trying to find the right translation. It's steadfast love. It's unfailing love. It's, it's love that will never stop kind of love. It's stubborn love. It's the kind of love that I would have for my grandkids. Now, uh, this week I called Callie, one of my daughters, and said, hey, send me a picture of me and, Ka- and Wren. So this is my two-year-old granddaughter, and uh, you can tell that I delight in Wren. I'm a big fan of Wren. And uh, Wren could, could mess up and, uh, you know, prefer Gail over me or something, and I'm still going to love Wren. Now, take the love of a papa for a toddler, and you get some idea of the kind of love God has for you. Except don't insult God. Multiply it times a billion or a trillion. He has the most incredible love for you, and perhaps one of our biggest, uh, most egregious acts of rebellion against God is that we would reject that love, or as believers, that we don't really believe that love. I would urge us to repent on our knees. Oh, God, I see the cross of Jesus. I see your love all through the Bible, and I haven't haven't received your love. I've misunderstood your heart for me. I am so sorry. So sorry. This is the love of God. He has steadfast love for you. He redeems your life from the pit, from the pit of hell. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. In fact, several more times in this psalm, he goes back to God's steadfast love, his chesed, which should be like a blinking light in the Old Testament for you. Verse 4, I mean verse 8, he goes back to it and says, The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Is that the way you see God? Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Or verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. 
or verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting over those who fear him. He, he can't say it strongly enough. This is my heart for you. Receive it. Enjoy it. Let it change your life. God has the most tender affection for you. He, he could never love you any more than he loves you right now because his love's perfect. He could never love you any less because his love is steadfast love. It's unconditional love. It's amazing. Do you see God this way? This is the way he is. One more verse, verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Do you know God is the kind of God who cares about people who are oppressed, who are needy, who are downtrodden. He cares about the orphan, the foster child. We start Royal Family Kids Camp tomorrow. Orphan children come out. Many of you go and help along with other believers around the area. These precious children who've been moved around from house to house. Many of them, they've been uh, mistreated, uh, at times abused, uh, abandoned, and, and God has a heart for them. And so we ought to have a heart for them too. God cares about the woman who is trafficked in slavery. And as we get involved with Love 146 or Redeemed Ministries, we're expressing the love of God for these people. We've got a Threads of Love ministry right back there, 1,000 people a month. We've got some financial need, financial pressure. We help with food and clothing. We've, we, uh, we help the unborn, God's heart for the unborn. We help those who, women who have been abused and children who have been abused. In every way, uh, God's heart of justice for the oppressed, that's the way God is. And therefore, we, we should care too. So what do we see in Psalm 103? We see the character of God, the glory of God, the beauty of God. Do you see God as the one who is the fount of every blessing? who has all these benefits for us as the one who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who cares about the oppressed because this is who God is. At the outset, I encourage you, three things that can really help you see God more and more as he is. One, pray. Lord, show me your glory. Show me your love. Show me your goodness. I would, what's more important than praying that we see God as He is? I put that at the top of your list. Secondly, live in Scripture because it is impossible to live in this book day after day after day for years and not see God, the glory, the goodness that He has. And then thirdly, when you worship like you're doing today, come with all your heart and let God transform your soul. But above all of that, the best thing of all to see who God is, is to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus hanging on a cross, paying for your sin, and recognize that in the face of Jesus, we see best the glory of God. See his heart for you. Would you stand, please? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and received this love and forgiveness, do so now. Breathe a prayer. Jesus, come and save me. He'll do it. Lord, for the rest of us who've done that, Lord God, I pray that more and more we would see your glory, see your love, see your power, see your heart. And Lord, may it transform our lives. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.